The offense was good at times. The defense just got overwhelmed. Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me. Yes, folks, he's back. And back to discuss a loss to the 49ers. The offense did things it had not done all season. That's the good. The bad just can't settle for field goals. And defensively, too much Brock Purdy, too much Christian McCaffrey. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 711, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Buda Baker, what heart, what threat. This guy's unbelievable. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, at the 5, he's in again! Some more Murray Magic! Wow! Here's Craig Grealoux. Well, the prodigal son has returned. Paul Calvisi is back after what seems like months, although really less than less than a month. But still, good to have Paul Calvisi here on a Monday morning. Unfortunately, it is not a victory Monday. It is a look back at a 45-29 loss to the San Francisco 49ers, who clinched the NFC West for a second straight season. Oh, geez. And their 12th straight win in the division. Yeah, I'm definitely not Paulie Prodigal right now, but I do put the P.O. into Prodigal. I'll, I'll say that much. You know, a little salty here on a Monday after a loss, especially to the 49ers. And, well, it's two guys who hail from the Bay Area. You know, your phones light up with all the Niner Nation bandwagon jumping, you know, $2 million, two-bedroom condo paying <laughs> Niner fans who inundate us over here. Okay, all right, we get it. Um, but just remember, okay? Just remember that the AZ produced your quarterback, developed and produced Brock Purdy, who has saved your keister from the disaster that was the Trey Lance deal. So for everyone who thinks that Brock Purdy is simply a game manager, uh, how have the Niners fared with other quarterbacks not named Brock Purdy? How about this? In two games against the 49ers, Brock Purdy, 78.2% completion percentage for 525 yards, Five touchdowns, six touchdowns overall. He is number one in darn near every single passing statistic through 15 weeks. And yeah, Mr. Irrelevant, very relevant here this season. And yes, a couple of Bay Area guys, it is a fun watch, just not fun when you're on the receiving end of that kind of a beatdown. Because dare I say, the 49ers, yes, they are the number one team in the division. They are the number one team in the conference, and dare I say, the number one team in the entire NFL. And I get it. You know, the Niners have done a great job building that roster where Kyle Shanahan, uh, seemingly on every play, there's a check down. And then on that check down, guess what? If it's Debo Samuel or Christian McCaffrey or, or George Kittle, I almost called him Trey McBride. There's a subliminal reference we'll get to a little bit later. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, you know, they've done a great job, obviously, of putting Pro Bowl weapons around him. So even when he does go underneath, it's sort of like the Trey McBride effect. They're going to make a couple of guys miss or break an arm tackle or three, and, and they're going to turn it into a big gainer. But Brock Purdy going downfield having the wherewithal to go through his progressions, the Christian McCaffrey touchdown pass, where by my count it was his third read, 
And then he found him, boom, on the deep slant right into the middle of the end zone. The Debo Samuel touchdown pass at the very end, that was an absolute dime between Antonio Hamilton, the pylon, and the sideline. Right on the money. I was right down there. So, I mean, everything that – and then he's tough, the way he got drilled by Dennis Gardeck and came back into the game. So, yeah, Niners are loaded. Uh, The, you know, Super Bowl favorite at this point. And honestly – they needed that win because you got to stay ahead of a Dallas team that at home is unbeatable. Yeah, the Cowboys went and they obviously had an epic fail in Buffalo, but you know, Niners didn't know that when they started that game. They needed to, uh, you know, keep some distance so they can stay at home because you, if you're in the NFC, you don't want to go to Dallas the way they won 15 straight in the Big D. And then, of course, with the Philadelphia Eagles playing on Monday Night Football against the Seahawks and what's going on in Philadelphia as far as they're shuffling with respects to who's calling the defense. So, yeah, it is a top-heavy conference, but let's just turn our attention to what happened, what did not happen at State Farm Stadium on Sunday. Offense set season eyes in points, total yards, and rushing yards. And let's just start right there with the rushing yards because all week long it was number one rush defense, 78.3 yards allowed per game. That's what the 49ers did coming in to Sunday's contest. And yes, Eric Armstead, Javon Hargrave, not on the football field for that 49ers defense. But Paul, I did not expect the Cardinals' ability to to not only run the football, but even sustain the run, even when it got a little bit sideways in the fourth quarter. You still saw Kyler Murray hand the ball off to either James Conner, Amari DiMercato, or Michael Carter. Yeah, You're seeing the confidence in the run game, not just the players themselves, but the coaching staff. Drew Petzing sticking with it. You're seeing how it really... It energizes the entire sideline when James Conner is getting fed and when you're feeding it to the front seven like the Cardinals did at times. I mean, you had a Fred Warner and a Trey Greenlaw. These guys are probably the best pairing of linebackers in the NFL, and you were able to take advantage of them. You were able to go right at a Nick Bosa. Now, obviously, missing those two key starting interior defensive tackles makes sense. Okay, here we come, right through the A and B gaps, but the ability to execute that and sustain that and to be the first team in what more than six years to rush for more than 200 yards against the 49ers that just speaks as to the effectiveness so former Cardinals head coach Steve Wilkes he jogged off the field afterwards and yeah he got the win but as defensive coordinator you gave up 436 total yards and over 200 yards rushing you can't feel real good about what your defense put out there most rushing yards allowed by a 49ers defense since 2017, and they had allowed only six rushing touchdowns this season. Cardinals had two, and it was James Conner on that first drive, a great opening drive, seven plays, 75 yards. You give the ball to either James Conner or Kyler Murray, and then the DiMercato run, I'm not quite sure still how he was able to slip through the line of scrimmage and then bust it out for the longest scoring run of the season. So that was the good news as far as the ability to run the football. And again, going back to what you said, keeping the ball on the ground even when you're down a score or even two scores because that was something that we had not seen earlier in the year. Petsing kind of going away from the run when you were trailing by double digits. So think about it. It's 28-13. It's mid to late third quarter. Cardinals have the ball. That was where they had the 44-yard run by James Conner, right? The big old chunk run. And then from there, you, you had Kyler hitting Trey McBride. Now you're near the goal line, and you had that second and goal from the five, and you had the messed up handoff. Now there was penetration, 
someone messed up that play, came right through the A-gap, whoever was on the Niners. So it, it made it, it might have hurried or hastened the handoff process. I'm not sure. But on the sideline, James Conner was mad at himself. He was furious because right there, you know, they had the fumble. They were lucky to recover it. And then on third and goal from the five, Kyler gets blitzed and he can't get the ball off in sync with Michael Wilson. You got to settle for a field goal, 28-16. And that was a big deal. I mean, that, that was a semi-turning point in that second half because at that moment to get down to the five-yard line you got to cash that in for a touchdown if you have any hope of coming back only the second time this season the Cardinals failed to score a touchdown on a first and goal situation wow and officially that went down as a fumble by Kyler Murray but it was at least on the broadcast and you're bringing it up right now as well but on the broadcast you brought up that yeah Connor said that well that was on me he took responsibility for that bobbled exchange and you're right in order to beat a 49ers team or just beat the elite of the elite, you can't settle for field goals. You have to punch it in there, and then you have to get a little bit lucky. And the Cardinals were unlucky twice. Once was the scoop and score by Joey Blunt that was overturned on replay, which was a good call. And then the George Kittle fumble that was not. Again, another good call. But if those two plays go the Cardinals' way, well, one, you've got points on the board, and then two, you've stopped the 49ers defense and you give yourself a chance to get back into the ball game, perhaps make it a little bit more interesting late in the contest. Look, Niners came in plus 11 in the turnover ratio, tied for first in the NFL, best record in the NFL. It's highly unlikely, let's put it this way, that you lose the turnover battle and beat that 49ers team. So honestly, the postgame conversation could have begun and ended with the whole turnover battle and especially the fact that the 49ers cashed in one of the two interceptions for a pick six, which a couple of things on that pick six. First off, Charvarius Ward has turned into an elite cover corner. I mean, he is CB1. You saw when he went out of that Seattle game uh, last week, two games ago, where Seattle was able to go after the backups and, and DK Metcalf initially was able to eat. Uh, Charvarius Ward is very talented. Uh, he really solidifies that secondary. You saw the athleticism, but I think you also saw an extra bit of attention being paid to Trey McBride. In money moments, Kyler is obviously going to Trey McBride, and for good reason, and good defenses are noticing this tendency. They always look at the last month's worth of film, and if you go back, obviously Trey McBride is getting the bulk of the targets, especially in money, high-leverage moments, and so there you had it. Even though Ward is a cover corner, it was almost like he was lurking and playing center field and waiting for that. I know Trey held himself accountable for not coming back to the ball, but there was only so much he was going to be able to do with that. It's funny, we waited, or I should say Cardinals fans waited, 34 years for a tight end to have a 100-yard receiving game, and now Trey McBride has done it twice in five games, the first time being Week 10 against the Falcons, which was Kyler Murray's first game back, and we're seeing that connection, quarterback, tight end, but Paul, we're seeing a little bit too much of it and it's not just Trey McBride it's the entire tight end even the running backs a little bit and the lack of production from the wide receiver room some numbers for you again I know you're not supposed to don't want to beat you over the head with a number stick but again these are these are eye-popping numbers tight ends on Sunday targeted 16 times 15 catches for a buck 72 it's better than 80 percent of the passing yards going to the tight end wide receivers targeted 13 times but just four catches for 20 yards. Mm. The past two games, now keep in mind, 
last week or two weeks ago in Pittsburgh, the rain. Maybe that had a factor. No Michael Wilson. Hollywood Brown continues to deal with that heel injury. But past two games, tight ends, 26 catches for 292 yards on 29 targets. Wide receivers, 20 fewer catches, six for 45 yards on 21 targets. And how many calls did you get after the game with fans <laughs> wanting Marvin Harrison Jr.? Hey, based off of what we did not see on Sunday, I'm right right there with them because if you're looking at what is glaring that this offense needs, it's a wide receiver. It is a playmaker. Now, defensively, that's another story. Edge rusher is where I'm looking at. But wide receiver, yeah, it is is hard to argue with that assessment. See, a month ago, it would have been a hard no from yours truly. It it would have been absolutely not. You need to get to the quarterback – Cardinals have gone three straight games without a sack. We'll get to that. You need to have a cornerback one to match up with the other team's best receiver. There's really not a Sauce Gardner projected to be in the top five of this draft. There's not that sort of guy, Derek Stingley Jr., who was a dude in Houston, even though they had to wait a year because of injury. I mean, honestly, you know, hey, another dominant offensive lineman, a three technique. I mean, these are all categories that a month ago I would have said would far outweigh the need at receiver. But after the last couple of games... And when you think about what a Justin Jefferson did to instantly transform the Vikings offense a couple of years ago, what Jamar Chase did for Joe Burrow and the Bengals and the way they've made deep playoff runs two years in a row, when you think of what some of these wide receivers, what Tyreek Hill did in Miami and, and, and what the Chiefs have looked like this year, minus that guy at receiver, you start to maybe get a newfound appreciation for what a Marvin Harrison Jr., if indeed he's that caliber. We know he has the measurables. Is he truly that sort of player? I don't know, but if the Cardinals end up going that direction four months from now, and a lot can change, uh, yeah, you can look at these last two games as evidence that, you know what, you need to spread the field a little bit more. You need to get, I mean, Brock Purdy was so good at the throws outside the numbers. Right here it is. I think this is a next-gen stat. 11-17 11-17 for a buck 68 and three touchdowns on throws outside the numbers against the Cardinals. How much production did the Cardinals have in the pass game outside the numbers? Because when you did hit the tight ends, for the most part, it was between the numbers, you know, the hash marks. And so, um, and, and this year, Brock Purdy has 17 touchdowns and one pick on those, on those throws outside the numbers. So you need to be able to use the entire field, spread the field, and obviously the last couple of weeks that has not been the case. It's been the run game. It's been the tight end. If even And Jonathan Gannon mentioned this. Even if you had a healthy Hollywood Brown, just the threat of a guy who runs a 4-3, forces a defense to play either a shell coverage or devote a Traverius Ward to travel and shadow a Hollywood Brown. So when he's standing on the sideline dealing with severe pain from a heel injury and he's got a knit cap on, now all of a sudden it's not nearly the same sort of offense that defenses have to account for. And you saw that play out the last three quarters. And just thinking out loud right here on a Monday, I wonder if we're at the point of the season with three games left and for the benefit of Hollywood Brown and his future, remember he is a free agent to be, is it time maybe for the Cardinals and for Hollywood to come to a mutual agreement. Hey, let's just shut this down because he needs to get healthy and he is maybe hurting the team more than helping, whether you're on the sideline or on the football field, because he did play, but he seemed like he was more of a decoy and not quite full speed when he was running his routes. It was interesting. 
Hollywood told the media this past week that he's at peace with his season because on film, he knows he's winning. Now, obviously, he hasn't had the production. A lot of that had to do with not having QB1, Kyler Murray, for the majority of the season. Uh, Now he's dealing with injury. But his numbers are so suppressed based on the lack of production that I really wonder what his fair market value is going to be. As a guy who's in the last year of his contract, just thinking ahead, okay, what did the odds Cardinals hit the offseason? And they let him hit the open market. And then what sort of offer may or may there not be for a Hollywood Brown? And do the Cardinals able to secure his services, even perhaps on another one-year deal, at a fair number, a fairly feasible economical number, where he has to come back and try and prove it in 2024? Brown played 24 snaps, was not targeted in that game. So here are his numbers through week 15. 51 catches for 574 yards. But, Paul, he's been targeted 101 times. And I heard Pash mention this on the broadcast. If you look at the catch rate, it is just barely above 50%. So 50% of the time, the quarterback, Dobbs, Toon, Murray, is looking at Hollywood Brown. Only 50% of those attempts are being caught. I mean, honestly, we've seen every snap of every game. Conservatively, he should have four more chunk throw touchdown catches. Should he not? Correct. Between Josh Dobbs missing three and Kyler one, at least, maybe even five or a half dozen. So, again, an astute general manager, if indeed he does hit the free agency market, would look at the film and say he's been winning a lot on film. Win healthy they just didn't maximize him, A, because it was a backup quarterback, B, because maybe you know, Kyler was dealing with some rust and it's a brand-new offense and they weren't quite in sync. But I still believe in Hollywood Brown and his abilities, but he's not healthy right now. And uh, so to your point, yeah, maybe it's in everyone's best interest to see if they can get him right and perhaps maybe just maybe he can play the final two games. And just having some wide receiver production would help this offense because if you look at what happened on Sunday, each team had six scoring drives. 49ers had five touchdowns to the Cardinals three, but it was how the 49ers were able to move up and down the field. Two scoring plays, two scoring drives, excuse me, of eight or more plays. Cardinals had five scoring drive of at least eight plays. So it was more difficult. It took the Cardinals a lot longer to move the football. They were very well at moving the ball up and down the field, 436 yards, most yards this season. But it was something that took them a long period of time. And if you don't have that threat of a wide receiver, yes, McBride can go out deep. But if you don't have that wide receiver threat, now all of a sudden – Defenses can lay back a little bit and force you to make mistakes, and the Cardinals made their fair share of mistakes. That's why they settled for field goals as opposed to touchdowns. Think of how far just the chunk play touchdown here and there would go for the Cardinals, something that is absent. Every single touchdown drive seemingly is 10, 12, 15 plays, whereas the Niners get a four-play 75-yard touchdown drive capped by a Christian McCaffrey 41-yard strike where he's so wide open he's able to fall down, get up, and then finish the touchdown. So that is an element that is most definitely missing from the Cardinals' offense. That big play, big strike, explosive, where you finish it and you get a quick touchdown. That is not happening. And then you have a Niners team that once they get it, got into the red zone, was perfect. They went four for four in the red zone, very efficient. Kyle Shanahan among the best in the business at just keeping a defense honest, having so many different options and 
Purdy's able to stay patient and you know not risk doesn't have to take some of those big risks whereas Kyler at times you know he, he had to throw into traffic he he was forced to that wasn't the case for for a Brock Purdy who was uh, very efficient I mean in my mind if Brock Purdy isn't the league MVP then it's Christian McCaffrey and what Christian McCaffrey is doing right now leading the NFL in rushing yards yards from scrimmage tied for first in touchdowns yards after contact running back receiving yards just the route tree he has. It's like on first and second down, he's a running back. On third down, they just split him out wide, and he's got a complete route tree as a receiver. And that's what the Cardinals defenders were saying earlier in the week, that no, McCaffrey is not a running back who can catch the ball. He is a running back and a wide receiver. He's almost two different players based off his skill set. And if there is any doubt, at least in my mind, or anyone as far as is McCaffrey or Purdy, if you want to just throw on these two games against the Cardinals as far as, hey, Christian McCaffrey is the MVP, 50 times he's touched the ball in two games for 364 yards right. and seven total touchdowns. See, now in the first game, you didn't have Buda Baker. And so we were thinking out loud in the pregame show, is Buda Baker a spy against Christian McCaffrey in the second game? And at times it looked like he was. It's always hard to tell exactly. But at other times, I think Purdy and Shanahan were very adept at assessing whether a linebacker was on Christian McCaffrey. And if indeed that was the case, well, that's advantage Christian McCaffrey. And you're without your starting Mike linebacker. And I think at times, you know, they went directly at Josh Woods, uh, especially in that touchdown catch where he had the deep slant and, and, and that grab in the red zone. So there were different times where, you know what, Christian McCaffrey is a handful for anybody but, you know, there's only one Buda Baker out there. And when you have him perhaps on a George Kittle, then you can't have him on Christian McCaffrey. And Purdy did a real good job of discerning those matchup advantages. By the way, I know it might have happened while you were en route or might have been getting ready for the pregame huddle. But Buda Baker on Sunday played all but one snap. And as our colleague Darren Urban noted earlier on Monday, perhaps had the tweets of the day because he did show up in the injury report on Sunday morning because of illness and Buddha post game mentioned that well go to Buddha Baker's social media page and you'll find out but it seems like Paul things were maybe coming out both ends if you will oh, based no. off of some emojis that oh, Buddha Baker had boy. tweeted so he was oh, less boy. than a hundred percent but mm. still gutted it out to play all but one defensive snap against the Cardinals on Sunday so you're saying he put the gut into gutted it out yes. is that what you're saying yeah. you know, maybe he, he lost a few LBs the hard way maybe uh, a little trepidation the Cardinals are wearing all white I mean what are you saying over <laughs> there okay so Buda Baker went out there and he and he balled um and so look um yeah I shudder to think what the defense would look like minus Buda Baker he, he, he is indeed that important so you know you hit zoom out and this is the challenge in the offseason to me. It's the division. It's figuring out Sean McVay. What, 14 of 16? He's won, I think, Sounds something about like right. that. And now Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers, who have won 12 straight in the division, you got to figure that out. Now, the Seahawks, I'm not exactly sure what to think. I like to think that you go plus three in the turnover battle at Seattle earlier this year and you have Kyler Murray, you win that game. But obviously Seattle has had a couple of pretty stellar draft classes. What are they going to do at quarterback going forward? Nobody truly knows. But they have talent and they play hard. And so to me, that's the offseason challenge is your own division. 
because you can look at the rest of the NFC, and I like to bag on the Minnesotas and Green Bays and Atlantas of the world and everyone else and the lack thereof and Tampa leading its division, but you got to get out of your own division, and you have two really tough challenges for your team in recent history and another team that's on the upswing. And to me, it starts on the defensive line. It starts at outside linebacker. You brought it up earlier as far as the Cardinals for the third straight game did not record a sack. And it's not always the sack total, but how about just one quarterback hit? In other words, Brock Purdy was able to stand in that pocket, have all the time in the world, and I don't care how good of a cornerback you are or a safety. You could have all pros across the board. Good quarterback and even a decent wide receiver is going to beat coverage if you give the quarterback enough time. And I go back to what Drew Stanton, our colleague on the Red Sea Report, has always said when you ask him about an edge rusher versus a cornerback. And a quarterback will always say, I fear the edge rusher more than I do the cornerback. So to me, if you're looking at the front seven, that is where this defense needs to improve versus the back end. I totally agree. And and I actually got into a discussion late in the game with Pash and Wolf on the radio side. And they were talking about, all right, it was during a down moment, it was an injury timeout, and, and what do you think? And I think the question from Pash to Wolf was, what position room is in the most need? And they both immediately went offensive line. And I was raising my hand on the sideline, let me in, Jim Almonro, let me in. And I, and I jumped in and I said, guys, uh, look, if there was a sauce gardener in the top five, I might be convinced to go corner. But how can you not go defensive front, whether it's a dominant three technique who can destroy and disrupt from the inside out, whether it's that edge rusher with elite talent, it is still about A, the quarterback, B, get to the quarterback. Those are always the two most important things in the NFL, in my mind. And if you give quarterbacks, even mediocre quarterbacks, a ton of time, guess what? It's going to be very difficult. And that has been the case for the Cardinals recently in, in trying to to get home. And so I don't know what's there in the top five of the draft. I don't think there's a Miles Garrett I don't think there's a Nick Bosa. Think of some of the elite guys the Cardinals have had to go against so far this season. And now they get another one going to Chicago. Montez Sweat, who the Bears traded for right before the deadline, has 13 sacks this year. He had a two-and-a-half sack game this past week against the Browns. He's a dude, a former first-rounder you got to account for. So you know that's the way the game planning works. You know Drew Petzing sits down, and the first thing he says, all right, what are we doing about number 95 or number 99 or you know whoever the other team's best guy is? we got to account for that guy, and the Cardinals need that guy if he's there in the draft. A week ago, two weeks ago, it was number 90, and the Cardinals shut down T.J. Watt. You don't hear offenses say, okay, who's in the secondary? Who do we need to throw away from? True. Okay, so you cut off one side of the field. All right, I still have the other side of the field, so I'm in agreement with you in that conversation, that debate with Passion Wolf. I'm looking at the front seven defensively. Now, is that what you do with the first of your two first-round picks or your second? I have no idea. There's going to be plenty of time to discuss that, but this team needs to force offenses to be uncomfortable, and the 49ers, again, in two meetings this season, have 12 third-down attempts. They were 3 of 5 in the first meeting, four of seven in the second meeting. Paul, every other Cardinals opponent this season has been forced into at least 11 third down attempts. And the Cardinals have not been able to get the 49ers to third down 
to perhaps bring the blitz or bring an extra edge defender out there to affect the quarterback. So we always look at certain numbers, but yeah, how are you on first down, second down to get to third down? That wasn't the case on Sunday. And you know what? That's a great point, and I wasn't aware of that because on the sideline, you hear the Cardinals defenders talk about get them to third down, advantage AZ, meaning they love the Nick Rawls scheme, you know, the 11-card pickup, we've called it, where they've been really successful at, at confusing opposing quarterbacks when it's third and obvious. But you're right, that doesn't happen often enough, frequently enough, and that is definitely a reason why the sack numbers have been suppressed. If you're not in third and obvious passing situations where you can pin your ears back, then of course that's going to bring down your sack totals. And so, yeah, it all ties together. There's no doubt about it. And it, it just comes down to town on that front seven. You know, how much different would things have been with the Kaiser White against the 49ers? You know, just his athleticism and his ability to get the defense in the right spots, the alignment, assignment, so we'll see. But, you know, no room has been hit harder by injuries than the defensive line room on this Cardinals roster this year. We get it. But they still need to fortify that. And don't think the Monty Austin Ford isn't well aware of that. And the guys that are playing, a Jonathan Ledbetter, a Dante Stills, a Roy Lopez. We saw Naquan Jones make his Cardinals debut on Sunday. Those are solid players. They just don't scare opposing offenses. Ledbetter, though, I'll say this. I do think he is a solid rotation piece moving forward. That's the one name. I'll go back to the scouting combine months after Monty Austin Fort was hired as general manager. He was asked in Indianapolis about the defensive line, and the first name he mentioned was Jonathan Ledbetter. So you're looking at a rotation of, what, three, four, five different defensive linemen. I do think Ledbetter is in the mix moving forward. The question is, how many of those other role players, or is it going to take a free agent addition or a draft pick in there to do what you said, and that is make things uncomfortable and shut down or frustrate opposing offenses? And remember, the Cardinals have a half dozen picks right now in about the top 80. So there's going to be opportunity to bolster these position rooms, not just once or twice, but you're going to have a half dozen bites of that apple, some really talented dudes that go into the second and top of the third round. So we'll see, but yeah, I fully expect, look, this team and this philosophy is all about the trenches in the line of scrimmage. And to me, if you look at a team like the Lions, who have turned it around, they rebuilt the offensive line first, and then they invested the second pick overall in Aiden Hutchinson, and they hit on some day two and day three picks in that front seven as well. And that's why the Lions right now are leading their division for the first time since like the early 90s. So I believe in the line of scrimmage as being the key, the pivotal reason behind a turnaround, presuming you have the quarterback. And uh, I think they do go that direction. So for all this talk about a Marvin Harrison Jr., sure, I'm on board. Looks like an elite talent. That's great. I'm just not sure that's what the front office is thinking that high in the draft. It's going to be fascinating to what the decision is if they reach that point and Harrison is available at pick whatever, three or four, wherever the Cardinals might wind up. Because then you do have a debate. Can one player, can one wide receiver who doesn't touch the ball every single snap make that much of a difference to an offense? And this is an offensive league. You've got to be able to score points. 29 points, nine times out of 10, enough points to win a ball game. But defensively, if you're giving up 45, 
Well, how do you slow down that offense? You do it with a defense player. And, and for everyone who said, well, once upon a time, the Arizona Cardinals, Calvisi, drafted Larry Fitzgerald number three overall. How'd that turn out? Agreed. However, the Cardinals weren't a good team till they fixed the offensive line in 2008 when they finally had a good enough offensive line, a consistent enough offensive line to give Kurt Warner time and to be able to run the ball, especially in the playoffs. That's when everything clicked. That's when you're able to utilize Fitz, Anquan Bolden, Edger and James is when you did fix the offensive line and then you were stout enough in that front seven with the Darnell Dockets and Carlos Dansby's of the world. That's when everything came together. So... I just, based on the track record of where these decision makers have come from and their philosophy, I would be much more apt to think that if, let's say, you're picking in the top five, then you're going line of scrimmage there. And then maybe with Houston's first pick, if you're saying it's around number 20, oh, Roma Dunze from, uh, from Washington, you know, a top-notch receiving prospect. 6'3", runs a 4-3-5, wildly talented. Maybe you're not getting Marvin Harrison Jr. in the top five, but you can still get a really darn elite receiver in that first round with Houston's pick. How many months are we from the draft? You said four months? Yeah, it's going to be a lot. And again, there is no right answer at the moment, but in four or five years from now, oh yeah, there will be a right answer and a wrong answer, and it's the question that GMs always have to figure out because that is their livelihood. Whether they get seven, eight, nine years on the job or they're one and done as far as making that wrong selection. 49ers, you brought it up. Trey Lance, well, they were able to pivot off that pretty well because they found Brock Purdy. And look, once again, this is in reaction to this Niners game. By next Monday, it could change all over again. But we're reacting to the fact that the Cardinals' receiver room had four catches for 20 yards. On 13 targets? Correct. And we're also reacting to the fact that it was a Cardinals' run defense that has yet to account for Christian McCaffrey. So these are all things that we're reacting to in real time. It's, uh, okay, what are the Cardinals' needs based on what we see in the games? And that's all we have to go on. And so, once again, you have to try and match what you have in your division, first and foremost. Right now, Niners are setting the standard, not only in the NFC West, but in the NFL. You've got an issue with fitting the Rams and their scheme. And so, all right, how do you go about trying to conquer your own division? Because if you can't get out of the NFC West, you can't get into the postseason. And right now, the Cardinals are winless against the division with one game left against the Seahawks at home. And that was the only game in which the Cardinals were competitive that first meeting against the Seahawks, three takeaways or your plus three in the turnover battle, you lose. To your point, better quarterback play, you should be able to win that ball game. But not competitive in two meetings against the Rams, not really competitive for the most part in two meetings against the 49ers. So yeah, what do you need to do in the NFC West because it's the easiest path to get into the playoffs, win the division, and you're in. It was interesting to hear Kyle Shanahan in the lead-up to this Week 15 game against the Cardinals site. His first year and John Lynch's first year with the Niners, they started 0-6, 0-8 maybe, and then they turned it around the second half of that season, and that carried over into the next season. Uh, you look at the Lions team that started in 2022 1-6 and then won 8 of their final 10. Look at the Lions now. Look at the Broncos this year. They started 1-5. One six of their next seven. So when it turns, it turns. And you have three games to go. And you have three games that, you know what? Based on what we've seen out of the Eagles recently and Gannon's knowledge of the Eagles, 
you know, it's possible, feasible, that they're going to be really competitive in that game. Now, we'll see how it plays out on New Year's Eve. Nonetheless, that's going to be a raucous crowd, no doubt, in Philadelphia. But they've already competed with the Seahawks. You got the Bears on the road. You saw what the Bears did in folding in the fourth quarter. Again, had a 17-7 lead and managed to lose to Joe Flacco. So if you can somehow you know, get two wins in these final three games, I know fans maybe don't want to hear it with the whole draft order, but I do believe in confidence carrying over. Momentum, yeah. no. But confidence and buy-in, those are things, tangible things, that I do believe carry over to another season. And figuring out which players you can count on moving forward and how the scheme, how those players fit within that particular scheme. Okay, we can run the ball using this personnel. Defensively, this is the package that we like because we have these players at our disposal. Then you add to that mix and move forward because I do think, and I mentioned it on Cardinal Talk, that if you do add the right pieces, free agency in the draft, there's no reason why the Cardinals in 2024 cannot compete, be in that contention, the playoff hunt, whatever cliche you want to use, play meaningful football late November and in December. No doubt. I, you know, we went on a rant on Cardinals Underground last week just looking at the NFL playoff picture. A half dozen teams in the AFC at 7-6. and six. Yeah, Cardinals are right there, a player or two away from being competitive with those teams. Now, you want to go atop the NFL in the elite? Okay, I get it. But to actually compete and be in the playoff picture, that's why, once again, if you can compete in your own division and just find a way to go 500 in your own division and then go ahead and accumulate wins outside the NFC West, to me, that's the formula and that's the route to get back into the playoffs. Cardinals at 3-11 and next week in Chicago. We'll spare Paul the details on the forecast because, hey, that's that's so far off in the distance we don't even need to go there. But again, I'll feel, I feel you as far as what potentially awaits the Cardinals and Paul Calvisi on Christmas so, Eve day. Here's the update desk, Craig. Uh, Dave Oh, Pash. that's right. With NBA ESPN commitments, the whole Christmas Day thing. And so, guess what? Uh, all the best to Danny Sarek, who will be manning the sideline. And she'll probably have more in terms of layers than a Ron Wolfley breakfast sandwich. So, uh, that's, uh, you know, good luck. And uh, I'll be uh, hoping the best when it comes to the forecast on your behalf, Danny. Hey, before uh, I forget, I almost did, the uh, weekly award. Even though Paul has not been here the past couple of weeks, we right. have announced the Angry Bird Award winner. And now that you're back, well, we need to let you, everyone know who this week winner is based off what happened on Sunday. So it was about a month and a half ago, Ron Wolfley on the Big Red Rage asked B.J. Ojolari, who's the baddest dude in that locker room. And Ojolari, the rookie, immediately answered, Matt Prater. <laughs> and and we laughed, and then we realized, no, he's dead serious, that Matt Prater has the look of an assassin. Dude is beyond locked in. His 58-yard field goal, do you realize that in the last 18 games, he is now 13 of 15 from 50-plus? Wow. Think about that. And then he was automatic from 41 and 28. He was three for three. And so for that, he does get the Angry Bird Award. Just the fact that Matt Prater, who, I mean, that guy never blinks on the sideline. He is so locked in. And honestly, he's like an assassin down there. And I, I don't know. I know the Cowboys kicker has gotten all this run and all this acclaim. 
I don't have the Cowboys kickers numbers in front of me, but I have a hard time believing that Matt Prater isn't a bona fide candidate to be the NFC Pro Bowl kicker this year. I think there's no question about it. Eight field goals of 50 or more yards setting a franchise record, and Matt Prater deserves to be in the mix as far as the NFC Pro Bowl is concerned. And by the way, voting runs through December 25th, one week from today. Go to ProBowl.com forward slash vote. ProBowl.com forward slash votes. Send Matt Prater to Orlando. I think it would be deserved. <laughs> and you know what? He, he would probably bring Aaron Brewer along. <laughs> he really would because those two are like inseparable. And, you know, you, you should be able to bring your long snapper, you know, if, if, if indeed you're the specialist. So uh, those two guys, uh, I mean, you can't tell if you're up 50 or down 50. They are the same dudes. I mean, when you talk about being even keeled, those guys are the epitome of that. Matt Prater went 3 of 3 on Sunday. Unfortunately, the Cardinals still stuck on three wins on the season after losing to the 49ers 45-29. to Always good to have Paul back on a Monday. And by the way, programming alerts with Christmas a week from today. Mm. No Cardinals covered two on a Monday. Hopefully a victory Monday nonetheless. Give Paul more time to recover from his play-by-play debut in Chicago. That's right. All you haters on Twitter, go easy, okay? Dave Pash calls more games in a week than I do all year, and he's a top-five play-by-play guy. So please, have the holiday spirit when you're assessing and criticizing said performance. And on that note, we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro, our associate producer, Cody Fincher. For Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.